Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,281. Today we're going to go on a little documentary about hoopties. That's going to be fun. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Brooklyn, New York, with a very special guest by the name of Jeremy Berger. Jeremy, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am ready. Let's go. All right, we'll have a little bit of fun here, because you're certainly having fun, and we're going to talk all about it in just a moment. But first, before we begin, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about Jeremy Berger? I brew beer. Oh, nice. Well, let's open some. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, you don't have to tell me twice. Hold on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Long time ago, I had a friend that made beer, and I didn't know much about it. And I'd go over his garage, and he had all this stuff, and I designed a label for him. Uh, he did a beer he called Billy Goat Beer, and we had some fun designing the label. And uh, we did them in these big bottles, and they were very – his beer was very much almost like a champagne beer. It's the best way I can describe it. I don't know what he was doing to make it like that. I'm not really much of a drinker, to be honest, but, you know, it's fun to try different things. How would you describe the beer that you're brewing these days? Uh, the beer that I'm brewing these days, that's a very good question. <laughs> is it like an IPA or is it like a Hefeweizen? Or? Well, I'll tell you, I'm trying to get away from IPAs right now because the IPAs have dominated so much of the independent beer marketplace that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm sick with variety whenever I go to the store. Yeah, a lot out there. A lot out there. So what I do instead is uh, right now I'm uh, doing experiments with primary fermentation happening in a pressurized environment, mm. which allows me to create create lagers at room temperature. Oh my goodness. Interesting. So right now uh, I am planning on a Pilsner Urkel clone uh-huh. that I hope to get done before the week's end that will go into a Cornelius keg under 10 PSI and uh, hopefully be done by this by, by the same time next week. Wow, you're fancy. And now, do you do you call your beer anything special? Do you have a name for it? It depends. Uh, there, there's one recipe I do. I, I'm 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 also a big fan of uh, Belgian varieties. Mm. And uh, the one recipe I've I've ever made that I will not touch because uh, I, I I always like to take the one I won't touch is this one. It's a Belgian Golden Strong Ale. And I came to find out while doing some research for it that of all the sugars that are released during the mash process, there are there are many more than just sucrose or dextrose which are common household variety types of sugars but there are many many different types and i was surprised to see one that was called galactose galactose outer space well that's what i, well, I kind of said and I'm, an, I'm, I'm an old uh, old school comics guy so i see the name of galactus in that from the fantastic four i was gonna say sounds like a superhero <laughs> yes and this is where we get into real beer nerddom <laughs> the technical name uh, for beer before you throw in yeast is wort, W-O-R-T. Mm-hmm. So that beer will forever be known as Galactose, the eater of wort. And that is my <laughs> Belgian Golden Strong. I could have some fun with a label for that one. Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of them are just like name, batch, you know, name, year, and batch, you know. So, uh, yeah, right now uh, that Pilsner Calby, Pilsner Cal clone. 2023 batch 001. Nice. Then once I get the recipe dialed in, then maybe I'll get fancy and creative with the name. Because if you get fancy and creative with the name with a recipe that doesn't turn out well, 
Ugh, yeah. That's now, you know, Aquaman's got pills is just a name I'll never knew again. That that beer came out terrible. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Aquaman had a disease or something. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, you're no doubt having fun and what you're doing, uh, you're having fun as well. So allow me to give you a little introduction here and we're going to dive into this. Jeremy Berger is a film producer and director from Brooklyn, as I mentioned, and founded Hoopty Films. His feature debut, Hoopties, will be released on April 4th. Hoopties tells the tale of three teams of automotive enthusiasts desperately trying to win the 24 hour of lemons yeah you've heard that name here on the show before an endurance uh, race car with vehicles that are purchased and built for under 500 hoopties took home the best documentary award at skyline indie films festival sugarloaf film festival and the maryland international film festival your trophy case is getting heavy my friend we'll be back in just a moment but first a word from our sponsors so give them a little love and we'll be right back Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Thinking about selling your classic or exotic car? Selling a classic or specialty car can be very complicated. Where to list it? How to take the best photos and videos? What information should you be including? How to answer tough questions from potential buyers? It can be a lot to handle, and doing these things wrong can cost you thousands of dollars. But don't worry. My friends at Classic.com are here to help. Classic.com pros know how to properly market your automobile, plus they'll help you determine the proper asking price, define your marketing strategy, present the offer, and they'll handle all the inquiries, removing you and your emotions from the equation. I have no doubt that your special ride is unique, and your marketing plan should be too. So be smart. Contact the experienced pros at Classic.com today. Their extensive network will ensure your car gets in front of qualified buyers. They will eliminate those pesky tire kickers and scammers. Plus, when your vehicle sells, they'll handle all the paperwork and logistics, making the entire process like a nice drive in the country. Talk to the pros today about selling your car. Just go to classic.com slash cars. Yeah, today and tell them Mark sent you. All right, Jeremy, we are back. A little sip of the beer here, thinking about going racing. You know, I had some other people on the show here that were related to the lemons. Uh, Jay Lamb, the founder, was on the show. Uh, Eric Root, Nick Pond, and some other drivers including a cop who built a car that ran upside down, which was quite interesting. But I want to talk a little bit first before we dive into the feature that you did. What got you into this industry and how long have you been involved in producing films and being creative this way? 
Well, I've been um, in the uh, advertising, marketing, and broadcast side of it for a couple of decades now. I uh, got started in 2000, 2001 doing assistantship work uh, in studio. I uh, went into the freelance world until uh, 2011 when I went to go work as a uh, senior editor at NBC. Uh, left to go out on my own and started filming uh, Hoopties in 2017. And um, here uh, here we are. Here you are. Well, let's talk a little bit about why you chose this medium first. Well, I should say medium, but the, the focus of your film, Hoopties, because, I mean, I kind of get it. If anybody has followed the 24-Hour of Lemons, this is a really interesting group of people that are having a whole lot of fun. Obviously, racing is massively expensive. So they took a look at this and said, you know what, how can we make this affordable for the everyday guy, the backyard mechanic to come in and have a little bit of fun? And they seem to have pulled it off. What you've done is captured the enjoyment and fun of this thing. But why did you choose this to begin with? It changed a lot as we uh, filmed more and more. When we started filming, I was originally taking a look at it in the vein of some other. Uh, it was in the vein of some other shorter documentaries, like I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary uh, "Heavy Metal Parking Lot," but we were originally intending on kind of just like showing up and introducing the world to what the Twenty Four Hours of Lemons was, because the cars were just so fascinating to look at. Yeah, and very much. I was inspired by one of the uh, early like feature documentaries that, that got me into it uh, back in the 90s. It was called a, uh, a Hands on a Hard Body. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You sure that's an, not an adult film? <laughs> <laughs> and I've never I mean, seen I'm that even, either. So let I'm me just be sure clear. Any, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even quite sure there are any adults in it. Uh, <laughs> well, good, a, good. It, it, it's a great documentary. I believe it's available on DVD right now. But it was very much passionate people about cars. So we showed up, we started filming with uh, Three Pedal Mafia first, uh, ooh, Jeff, Jim, Chris, Chrissy, and, uh, and, and the likes. And uh, by the end of that weekend, like I looked over at you know, my producer, also my wife, and I, and I asked her, I was like, do you think this is more than a short? And she just looks at me, she's like, this is definitely more than a short. So as we got more involved with it, because we, we're, we're not racers like we we like i don't come from the world of racing whatsoever and what originally started off is like this very visual engagement because these cars just look amazing quickly turned into trying to get the love and the passion that people have for cars people have for racing and honestly each other like this really is a community that uh that i was i was very inspired to be a part of well, or, or document, I should say. I'm not jumping into a race car at any point. Well, uh, those cars are a little dicey, but I know they have safety features and so forth. You know what's kind of fun about this is if you think about the Netflix series Drive to Survive, which I'm sure you're familiar with, mm -hmm. and what that's done to the racing industry, specifically F1, and now I understand they're going to do it for golf and, and other things, is it takes the viewer behind the scenes into being part of it. And I believe that's what you've done here with Hoopties is you've tried to bring the outside viewer who looks at these goofy guys building goofy cars, going out and having fun. And it brings you inside to the story and adds the personality part. Is that why you, when you first saw this and you looked at your wife and said, there's a lot more here to this than what we thought. Is that how it kind of came together? Because Drive to Survive is one of those things that when I first saw it, I got excited. My wife kind of went, eh, yawn, I'm not into cars. And even my daughter, and now my daughter's an F1 fan. I mean, she knows all the drivers. She's like, hey, did you see the race this morning? I'm like, where were you my whole life? 
<laughs> when I was trying to get you involved in this. And she goes, well, dad, watching cars go in a circle is boring. But when you see the story and the people, that's what's mm. interesting. Is that what you dove into here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Making a, a, a film about a race is only ever going to be, I feel, interesting to people who are already into the race. I kinda, we kind of wanted to make a documentary that would introduce racing to a much wider audience and bring them into the excitement that was being experienced by the drivers, the thrills being experienced by the drivers and the mechanics, you know, the hardships, uh, compounded with the fact that they are dealing with challenges that every other racetrack will provide for them, but also a bunch on top of it, like going to a junkyard in the middle of the night to find half of an engine. <laughs> we just found the entire experience to be just uh, very engaging and really wanted to bring it to as many people as possible. Well, and of course, you go to the big screen, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, you know, film make of AJ Beams go like hell. Um, <laughs> they did the same thing there, I think. And, and we see some of these past movies that are race movies that were never very popular and, and didn't really quite make it because I think there was just too much racing in it for the average audience and there wasn't enough about the background and the people. But Ford versus Ferrari got heavily into the people and the stories behind it. And I think that's why perhaps it helped it be more exciting. What were some of the aspects about Hoopties that inspired you so much? Being about being a racer, you know, I mean something captured you there. There were several things that capture me i was talking about that first shoot originally and a lot of times when i wrap up like usually like the first shoot of a documentary is usually kind of a test shoot because you're getting ready to spend at least a year and honestly more likely two possibly even our case three with these people like shooting them being around them you kind of want to make sure that this is turning out in reality the same way that's going in your head and uh because there have been some we've gone out we've shot and then afterwards we're like yeah i don't think there's anything there but usually after one of those shoots, the subject is going to ask the most normal question in the world, which is, well, hey, you know, what is this? When do you think we can see it? The thing I loved about Hoopties, and one of the reasons why I initially thought of that first shoot that we as not more, was Jeff turned to me, didn't even ask about the footage. He just wanted to know if I'd been inspired enough to jump into a $500 car and go racing. Oh, well, there's a good, there's a good question. It's a very good question, and it kind of stunned me for a little bit. He was the first person who'd seen somebody following them with a camera, wasn't curious about the footage, wanted, was curious if they were interested in joining the sport. So then there was another instance just during casual – I think it was actually at the following weekend from that first shoot. We were actually at the first race in Connecticut, and – that's when I found out that they had that uh, a lot of the uh, teams will spend into the night working on competitors' cars. Helping each other. Helping each other out. Helping out their competition, which in most sports, or for, at least for people sitting outside sports, is just a completely unheard of notion. Why would I help this person when I should be first? I should be winning here. So this community aspect, like, immediately at that point, the entire dynamic of what this narrative was as a competition was changing because while it is of course while all this sport is man versus man in a strictly dramatic sense it occurred to me that at that point that the story here was actually more about man versus nature to a certain degree <laughs> man dirt versus physics definitely yeah uh man versus his own wallet is certainly an aspect <laughs> yeah. um 
And that's when, you know, the approach became much more three-dimensional and much more engaging to us. And, and it was it was just fascinating from then on in. You know, I'm not sure if it's been done, but I used to race vintage cars for quite a while. And the vintage car world is much like what you experienced. Now, there's more money involved, and but the people, the characters are what make vintage racing so interesting. And I always thought there's there's a great documentary or movie or story there or a series uh, within that world, I think, because vintage racers are just a really interesting group of people. And what you mentioned, helping each other, I was at a race where my uh, clutch exploded on a 67 Lola T, T290 sports racer. And I thought, we haven't even been able to race yet. And the car's done. And the guy helping me goes, oh, no, let's just get on some bikes and ride around and see if anybody's got, got a clutch. And we found somebody. He goes, yeah, here, you, you can take this. And we fixed the car and got it on the track. And I'm like, wow. And that was one of my first experiences. I thought, well, this is a great group of people. They just want cars to be out there, right? I mean, yeah, they want the car. Well, they also don't want to win by default. You know, like they, 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 like especially, um, you know, one of the members of the team, uh, Chris, they're very strategic in their deployment of drivers. Uh, I'm talking about Three Petals Mafia in, in, in this instance. I haven't brought up Great Globs of Oil or uh, Team Far from Winning yet, but <laughs> Great Globs of Oil. That's some great uh, names here. <laughs> oh, they, oh, the names. Oh, the names, Mark. They're 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 glorious. But their specific strategy is to uh, let the fastest guy go last. Because it's endurance racing, as you well know, you know, you got to keep that car out there and keep that car out there and keep that car out there. So they're constantly working on strategy. Um, and if you end up lo- and if you end up winning with winning because the guy next to you, the guy that you're trying to beat gets a breakdown, you don't actually know if that strategy worked. <laughs> yeah. And that's 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 a that's a big thing for uh, for for a lot of these folks, especially people who really just put you know so much time and so much effort into something that they will absolutely never get the time or money back from. Well, it's the experience. That's what they're buying, right? Exactly. Exactly. The experience, the competition, and the camaraderie. Yeah, absolutely. What was your biggest challenge putting this film together? Uh, it was just us. It was just, <laughs> just it was you? A, it was just uh, yeah, my, my wife and I. Yeah, I'm the, uh, you know, uh, there, I mean, there's a certain point when you design the credits for a program where you realize that it just makes no sense to give yourself all of them. Uh, that's why the credit sequence and hoopties is really short. Uh, but yeah, it was a single camera shoot running all over the racetracks. Anyone wanting to do this, I advise heavily, uh, weatherproof gear and very comfortable shoes. That was the single most challenging part. I mean, it was challenging physically. It was challenging, uh, mentally because, you know, like you're never going to get, shall we say full coverage. Like it's, you're not going to have eight camera guys on one of these shoots, with huge telephoto lenses. So you kind of got to improvise, adapt and overcome. Luckily, all the subjects were great. So I didn't have to, you know, encounter too many story errors during the post-production process. But yeah, I'd have to say just doing this all ourselves from the beginning to uh, our film festival uh, release. That was some tough work. If you were going to advise somebody that wanted to get into doing what you're doing now you got decades of professional experience but nowadays i mean we see some pretty amazing things produced on on cell phones that are outstanding i i just they shock me sometimes but if you were to advise someone who wants to kind of play around with this and maybe get into doing this kind of thing how would you advise them uh i would say you know it's funny i i not 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 to plug another thing I did, but I did a short documentary years ago about this guy named uh, Stan Monroe, 
who would build scale models of famous world buildings out of toothpicks. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, he's a great guy. He's actually got his own uh, exhibit, I believe still at the most museum in Syracuse. And uh, so I asked him at the end, just like, okay, well, somebody wants to get going doing this. What, what are you saying? And he said it best. He's like, just start gluing. Buy a box of toothpicks. <laughs> I, literally, that almost verbatim. You haven't even seen the thing. You're almost saying, yeah, get yourself some toothpicks. The first one you make isn't going to be the Taj Mahal. But, you know, another person who said it good was uh, James Cameron, which is go out with your friends, make a movie with them. And uh, congratulations. Now you're a feature film director. And now the rest of your career, you're just arguing for eight. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know it's right it's like anything you just have to start doing it it's seat time you learn you practice you ask questions you try things uh and i think we're living in a time where there's never been any greater opportunity to produce and create i mean whether it's a podcast it's photography videos whatever and put it out there at almost no cost other than your time mm-hmm. and start learning i mean it's just we're we're living in a pretty pretty darn crazy time i look at some of the things that are produced by people on youtube and i'm just wow you know better than any tv stuff i think a lot more interesting not more fun i mean it's it's it, it is incredible yeah the amount of educational resources and just i mean when it comes, I mean, I, again, I graduated college back in like 2000, uh, and a great deal of my education in this sector was largely technical uh, because that was the only way you get a job. That's the only way you get to pay the college back. Uh, but now that's a much different story, I, and it's and it's funny because I now actually uh, teach uh, I, I teach a class at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan, and um, you know, I, like while I am there to provide myself as a technical you know resource. There's a lot of it where I where I just kind of say, okay, well, if you want to go look up this, go check out this YouTube video. Go check out this YouTube video. And then I'm going to spend my time teaching kids all the stuff that those users, that only experience teaches you. And now to a certain degree, and, and, and again, I've only been doing this for about a year and a half, um, but I keep wondering to myself that with especially spots like YouTube where you can go on and look up almost immediately – any kind of answer to a technical question you might have, you know, whereas beforehand I might've viewed that as a, shall we say marketplace threat to higher education. Now it occurs to me that no, it's actually making higher education even more valuable because now you go there to learn directly from the people who have not only can now critique your work and apply the theory that people from my generation never got to play with because we were too busy trying to learn the tools. Right. That's an interesting perspective. And I've certainly learned that, well, when I started this podcast almost 10 years ago, I learned how to do everything watching YouTube videos. 10 years. Congratulations. That's I, so well, amazing. Well, that's how you talk to 2,281 people. <laughs> you just My God. producing five shows a week. I'm doing four a week now, but five shows a week for eight years. Being inspired by so many people like yourself, uh, it's been a real honor to get to meet so many cool people in the industry doing so many fun things. I mean, it's pretty pretty darn special. You know, I like to ask people about special vehicles in their lives. Now, I don't, I don't know how much of a car guy you are, but is there a special vehicle that's been in your world? I have had, uh, currently we have a uh, Subaru Impreza. I love the thing. It is a perfect city car. And I've been driving for years, so I, I can't bring myself to say that I need a um, a, a, a camera to three you know to three point park. I will never again pursue a car that doesn't have a camera for three point parking. It's just <laughs> wonderful. 
Uh, no, I we had um we got my parents' '99 Honda CRV years ago. It was actually our <clears throat> excuse me production car for the first couple of first couple of lemons uh, hoopty shoots. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to that thing when on Christmas Eve the uh, transmission blew and we had to get towed back from the fueling depot of Newark International Airport. That was a special Christmas because we kind of had it by ourselves. Back was full of Christmas presents. We were going to go see Renee's family down in Baltimore, my folks down in North Carolina. It was supposed to be a thing, and instead we watched The Force Awakens and found ourselves at a brewery at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I can't complain. Those things happen. Uh, we had a family road trip from San Diego to Tucson once, and we spent Thanksgiving in Yuma with a, I'll call it a lemon. It was a Audi 100 LS, which back in the day, those cars were really not good cars. And that thing just let us down all the time. And yeah, it died and had to get towed into Yuma, and we never made it to our Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. But, you know, we were my sister and I were little kids, so it was kind of an adventure. I know my parents weren't happy about it. That's for sure. <laughs> That happens. That happens. You know, it's it does. the way it goes. So I'm going to be a car psychologist here. Now, since you've been in the hoopty world and you really have immersed yourself into it, I'm going to twist this question for you a little bit, Jeremy. Okay. okay. I typically ask people if they were reincarnated as a vehicle, manifest as a vehicle. It's not what you want to be, though. This is how you perceive all your idiosyncrasies as a creative person, as a, a man, as in the in the creative world into a vehicle. But I'm going to twist this up. Right. If you were... A hoopty, based on all these interesting cars that you found and what you like to do with your life, which hoopty would you be? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I kind of tricked you with this one, you didn't did, I? You did, you did, you did. Oh, I had a I had an answer for the other one. But, <laughs> hmm. Well, you know, one of the teams in the films, funny enough, Great Gloves of Oil, one of the things I love about them, and this is the answer I think I'll pick with them, because the, the film did take a long time to shoot and a long time to edit. But I'd like to think that we got there and uh, we brought everything to the game that needed to get there. So I'm going to go with I will be the RV of Great Globs of Oil, which in and of itself is a lemon car. It tops off at 40 miles per hour. Their trip to racetracks sometimes takes an entire extra day. <laughs> and they are always in the right-hand lane, but they get there. And, and it also stores all the tools that they need. So I'm going to go with, I will be the RV. I will not be uh, the fancy or the flashy car, the one that's racing, but I will absolutely get everyone to where they need to go. Well, see, you did a nice job with that. I Thank appreciate you. you letting me twist that up a little bit. Now, if I went back to the original question, since you already had a great answer, as you said, what kind of car would you be? Oh, 1970 AMC Gremlin. Oh my. <laughs> now, that's an interesting answer, too. <laughs> the gremlin hey, i mean look george bush and bill clinton owned one so there must be some type of universal <laughs> in that car, right well cars do bring people together when you take two people on polar opposites of the political world <clears throat> you know there you go uh, there you go so we should uh, all just talk about amc gremlins more Fine i people. think so yeah yeah exactly the world will be a happier place that's for sure so how about great reading is there a great book you'd like to share with us today oh the one that's been i'm reading two books right now one of which is one of those books where you read a chapter and it gives you a nosebleed, so you put it down for a little bit. <laughs> and that one is Salt, A World History by Mark Kurlansky. Mark Kurlansky. That's uh, – it's – it's that's – oh, that's – it's – Heavy? It's a beautiful – it's – it's it, it is. It is. It's um, – but it also kind of, you know, like how should I say – 
puts two great gears in, in your brain together and you realize that there was a connection point all along. Oh, wow. It's, it's a terribly, terribly informative book and I've been reading it quote unquote for, uh, at least a year now. Uh, oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I keep picking it up and I keep putting it down. I keep picking it up and I keep putting it down, but it's, it's, it's very dense. Uh, and my big joke there is of course it's named salt. It's very dry. Uh, humor wise, that was a little hanging fruit. But, um, <laughs> the one that's a little bit more fun is uh, deviate the science of seeing differently, uh, which is a book about neuroscience by Bo Lotto. That's very much about uh, understanding that you know all perception is based off of a certain amount of bias and trying to recognize where yours is and changing it if you can. It's a very it's a very interesting. There's an interesting chapter all about the meme of the dress from a few years ago. Do you remember that? Nobody, fifty percent of the world couldn't agree on the color of a dress. <laughs> I don't very, think I don't think the world can agree on fifty percent of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Me, no. No, no joke there. But it, th- those are the, uh, the the two big uh, big books I'm reading right now. Those and it's uh, it's uh, salt is a, is the really dense, dry thing. But deviate uh, that's that's the more fun, more approachable. Wow, heavy reader here. And two new books to the Carja book recommendations list. I'll remind you, listeners, I've got a great place on the website called Guest Recommended Books, where you can find over. Gosh, now there's probably over three thousand books listed there by my. Uh, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. So you've brought some new ones to the mix, which is kind of cool. Oh, so, great. yeah. So we're going to go on the ultimate drive. So today we're going to have some fun. I'm okay. going to enable you to drive anything you want. Checkbook. Don't worry about it. I'll write the check. Any car in the world can be parked in your driveway. You can take it anywhere and you can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us, which opens up a world of opportunity for this interesting drive. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you? You know, Okay. What I the car that we first of all I would drive with my wife and our dog. Yeah, that's 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 as baseline as this get because we're just going to keep driving the same piece of road, which is the Pacific Coast Highway. Oh, uh, nice. Uh, it's uh, I, I've driven I, I've driven a section of it once, and uh, I kind of said that uh, said to myself then and there like I could I could I could drive this stretch of road for the rest of my life and die happy. <laughs> uh, the car would be. A 1973 Chevrolet Caprice. Okay. Uh, the same um, convertible that uh, Hunter S. Thompson rented in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm. I would continue to have guest stars. So you pick up hitchhikers. Well, uh, I mean, I might go off the Pacific well, Coast Highway well, to pick them up. Guest star, but, you know, pick, if, guest star pick hitchhikers, I should say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. But only if their name is Neil. So Neil oh. Patrick Harris, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're telling me if they per- they've they've passed, that's wonderful because Neil Pert, I would love to have a conversation with him. Neil Young with his guitar. Neil Young, yeah, he can <laughs> bop, and he's probably got you know he can get us at least to Portland easily. Uh, you'd think so. <laughs> I would hope so. Wow, now that's a very uh, that's a new, unique answer to that question. Thank you. I, I I gave it some thought. I gave it some thought. Yeah, yeah, and now you got me thinking. Oh, Neil Neil Armstrong. That'd be cool. Talk Neil Armstrong. His, talk about his uh, a flight to space. Um, God, I'm trying to think who else would be. Uh, well, we got Neil Gaiman, you know, the British author. He has that Sandman show on uh, on Netflix. Comic writer Neil Brennan. Uh, there was that famous. Um, there was that famous. Uh, he was a Neil Cassidy. Neil Cassidy. He was a guy who featured very heavily. He was kind of like a, a supporting character in a lot of the Beats works from like Jack Kerouac. Oh my god! Uh, and yeah. whatnot. So uh, he could jump in the back and tell us uh, how much of the beat generation lore was uh, BS, how much of it was true, and 
how much of it they had to hide for fear of uh, for fear of the authorities. Uh, Neil Diamond comes to mind. Another, Neil I Diamond, guess I'm on yeah. kind of a music trend here a little bit. You know, he's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, Neils. There's uh, there's a lot of Neils. You know, there's a to, lot of them. I have to go uh, research a few more uh, Neils there in the past. But uh, very interesting answer. Very unique answer. I'm not surprised from a creative guy like you for that uh, that question. So I'll oh, get to thanks. work. I got some work ahead of me. So you've taken us on a wonderful ride today, sharing your Hoopties documentary, which is coming out April 4th. Where can people see this? Well, it's, uh, I've got actually some exciting news that popped up on uh, just yesterday. Uh, April 4th, it'll be available on all VOD platforms, uh, but it is actually available uh, for pre-sale right now on iTunes. Ooh, okay. Um, so if you want to check it out, uh, but yeah, it'll be available on Amazon. Uh, again, all your all the places where you can get video on demand, uh, it will be available on April fourth. And uh, of course, I can send you the links uh, if you'd like to include those. Yes, please do. I'll put those on uh, Jeremy Shona's page so you can get your hands on this. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of inspiration or wisdom with us? A success quote, maybe? Ah, uh, success quote. Ah. Uh. Well, you know, it's funny. We 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 uh, we just started. To, we talked about Stan Monroe and just to keep on going. Well, you know, I I I, I don't know if this is uh, you know, and and it, maybe it's a little bit different because, of course, you know, I, I deal in the uh, creative services industry. And one of the things that I'd like to say, like, if you are getting started making your first documentary, uh, that if you come from you know like a differing background from that, there might be an undue expectation uh, to not fail. Uh, whereas I would say in the creative services, uh, in the creative and in, in any creative de- endeavor, uh, failure isn't just inevitable. It's actually important. Uh, <laughs> failure is a, is an incredible teacher. Uh, I say this as a teacher myself, uh, get out there, uh, make the mistakes and keep making mistakes, uh, until, uh, you fail at making mistakes and congratulations. You have success. <laughs> I love it. Great way to look at it. Awesome. Listeners, you can find everything that Jeremy shared today on his Cars yeah show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Jeremy a Burger. That's B-E-R-G-E-R, not the hamburger. And you'll find everything that he shared today. Jeremy, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and sharing this new documentary. Congratulations. Cannot wait to see it. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thank you so much for having me on today. It's been absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to check out the podcast and I hope everyone enjoys the movie. Absolutely. I think they're going to. Uh, you picked a fun subject, especially for all the listeners here at Cars. Yeah. So uh, hoopties, have some fun with it. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, 
and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!